This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. interesting article and initially i thought maybe it would make a good talk topic maybe people would be interested in talking about it but i I read this article and i found the behavior described in it so absurd and so out of the mainstream that i don't think it's a good talk topic because i think it's something that 95 to 99 percent of the public will agree with me on, which is that this practice is absurd. Many thanks to Ellen Metzger, who was kind enough to send me this uh, this article. So uh, this is an article that uh, originally appeared on the on HuffPo, and headline is, An old friend wants to charge me to attend her wedding. Am I wrong to say no? And it's basically, she writes, it's just unfortunate because we've been friends for 12 years and it's sad to only be able to attend the ceremony because I absolutely refuse to pay. So somebody on Reddit posts about this called Wedding Drama and apparently the couple getting married sent out RSVPs with three options. One, I will attend the wedding. Parenthesis, Envelope fee, $65. Two, I will only attend the ceremony. Three, I will not attend. I think this is the most obnoxious thing I've ever read about. And I have to think that this, maybe this is not a one-off, but I have to think this is statistically close to a one-off. Honestly, I have never heard of this. I have heard about some cheap people in life And I have seen firsthand a lot, you know, I'm a wedding officiant. I've seen a lot of different ways that people get married, which, you know, sometimes they're very frugal. I have never, ever seen asking for a fee to attend the wedding. Have you ever seen anything like this? 800-848-9222. You know, uh, my wife and I had a, a big wedding. I think we had about 300 people at our wedding. And a couple of people came and you know they didn't they didn't bring gifts or anything and you know what we did nothing nothing because we invited people because we wanted them there we didn't invite people because we were hoping to get a gift out of them so i just i've never understood that i have heard of married people getting upset that someone gave a paltry gift i think that's a little obnoxious too But I understand that rather than overtly making this a financial transaction like you're selling concert tickets. If you have ever experienced anything like this, let me know. Very, very curious to see if this is a phenomenon that is somehow more common than I realize. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Meantime, you know who's coming up in a few minutes. 
Governor David Patterson, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, We'll talk Super Bowl. We'll talk news of the day. We'll talk a whole bunch of stuff. He's going to join us uh, to uh, cut through a lot of the of the nonsense that you see in the uh, in the media. Because uh, one, David Patterson is endlessly entertaining, but he's also such a straight shooter. You know, he doesn't uh, seem, at least when he's talking to me, to have a an interest in promoting left wing or right wing. He just gives you his opinion wherever. The chips fall, they they fall. Yesterday was a big day in the media because yesterday marked the return of John Stewart to the Daily Show for for the first time in I don't know something like uh, I think since 2015. And this is we talked about this before. He's only doing it on Mondays. So he reclaimed the hosting chair at The Daily Show, taped his first show for Comedy Central in almost a decade. And while the episode hasn't aired yet, as of the time that people were writing reviews, people said that there were several standing ovations and the studio was buzzing with excitement for his return. A line formed around the block as fans tried to secure a spot in the live audience. Ahead of the episode... John Stewart sat for an interview on CBS Mornings explaining why he wanted to return. He said, I very much wanted to have some kind of place to unload thoughts as we get into this election season. He also addressed his exit from Apple TV+. It was very interesting what happened because he was probably the biggest talk show they had on Apple TV+. And he did a lot of interesting interviews with interesting people. I remember he had one sit down, which I thought was quite fascinating with Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton simultaneously. And basically, Stewart said they decided that they felt they didn't want me to say things that might get me in trouble, which, I mean, shame on them. If Jon Stewart wants to go out and say something, he should be able to go out and say it. You know who's coming on this show a little bit later in the week? I'm not sure what day yet, but Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly and Jon Stewart are actually pretty good friends. And they used to go on one another's shows. I'm going to ask his opinion about this. Because one of the, you know, there's two things, there are three things in the public eye that are very, very tough. We've talked about all of them. One is to make it, right? Is to get to the point that people actually want to listen to your radio show, read your book, watch your movie, listen to your song, or watch you on TV. The second is longevity. Anybody can, not anybody, but a lot of people can achieve a great deal of success for a short amount of time. You think of people like Arsenio Hall. You think of people like um, Morton Downey Jr. But it's very difficult to do what Paul Harvey did, to do what um, Andy Rooney did, to do what people, Howard Stern, Rush Limbaugh, people who've been in the spotlight for a long time— and have them continue to be number one for years and years and years. Very difficult. But the third most difficult thing is a successful comeback. Because there's something about the magic of being a big hit. It's almost like catching lightning in a bottle. And we've seen so many people try to come back and capture that former magic. And they're not able to do so. And I'm curious if um, Jon Stewart is going to be able to to do that as the weekly host of The Daily Show here. Here's uh, Jon Stewart talking with CBS Mornings about his Apple TV exit. Well, I very much wanted uh, to have some kind of place to uh, unload thoughts. 
uh, as we get into this election season. And I thought I was going to do it over at, uh, they call it Apple TV uh, Plus. Plus, yeah. it's, uh, it's a television uh, enclave. Yes. Very small. Yeah. It's like living in Malibu. We've Nobody, heard of it, yes. Yes. Right, man. Uh, but they decided that they didn't, they, they felt that they didn't want me to say things that. Okay. Okay, so. Uh, here's a little bit of Jon Stewart's return to The Daily Show. I'm excited to be back. I'm very excited. To be back. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Why am I back? Uh, you may be asking yourselves. It's a very reasonable question. Uh, I have committed a lot of crimes. <laughs> From what I understand, talk show hosts are granted immunity, so it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense, but take it up with the founders. I don't know. <laughs> So we'll see how it goes. I'm wishing them luck, you know, um, and the fans seem pretty excited about it. I do wonder if it's going to be successful, though. I'm, I'm not rooting against him at all. I just think sometimes it's very difficult to recapture that lightning in a bottle. Governor David Patterson coming up in just a bit. 800-848-9222. Jerry calling from WCCO in Minnesota. Hey there, Jerry. Hi, Frank. Uh, enjoy your show very much uh, you. since you come on the air. Thank you. Uh, my estimation you was Bob the Green word, that... Spread the word for us out there, uh, Jerry. Sure. Thank yeah, you. but I'll, I will do that, Frank. My estimation with Bob Crane's murder my whole life was that this John Carpenter was actually waiting for him, and then when Bob Crane come home and fell asleep, that he was like hitting the head with a baseball bat. But John Hooks, the way it sounded, he was murdered in a car, maybe? Uh, you know, I, I don't know, right? I could see either scenario happening. Um, uh, look, I don't know that we're ever going to know, but um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where, if anywhere, this case goes from here. I, I don't know that uh, I, uh, there's any point necessarily in authorities reopening it because there's already been a trial. But um, I don't know. I can't. I couldn't say whether it's the apartment uh, or the car. But I agree. I haven't read this book yet, but um, based on you, what uh, what. Uh, John Hook said there, it does definitely sound like that was a possibility. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess my estimation might not have been, been right, but I've wondered for years. And it's, it's funny because when I go into Tucson or Phoenix, I always think of Bob Crane, you know. Oh, yeah, I, same. Same. It's been a while since I was in Arizona, but uh, but yeah, same thing. Whenever I think of Arizona, that's the one of the first things I think of. I agree with you, Jerry. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Steve's in Jersey City. Hey, Steve. Hi, when I think of Holgren's heroes, I think of, I see nothing, I know nothing. <laughs> Sergeant Schultz, the greatest. Sergeant Schultz. What? Yeah, well, I heard Crane was murdered in a parking lot, but you know what? Who knows? Um, about a wedding. I usually, last wedding I went to, I gave $200, $200 bills and a wedding card, okay? That's a, I think that's a, and I just went by myself. I didn't bring anybody. Yeah, I think it's now, a very nice gift. Right, exactly. Now, if I get a letter that says $65, I'll pay $65, and that's the gift. Oh no! I, so I, I mean, I I I think it's incredibly tacky. But I would be so Very offended tacky. if I was uh, invited to this wedding. I agree with you. No, no gift be, on top of that. Absolutely. Right. I'd be I'd be offended, and I'd be saving one hundred thirty-five dollars. Yeah, uh, Steve, I'm with you. I completely agree. Would you still mm -hmm. go? Would you still go to this wedding? Let's say it was someone you consider to be a friend. Would you still go if they asked you for this fee? My friends wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd know, like I to. I can imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Steve. I'd like to think the same thing. Hey, just got an SMS text message here. 
Hi, Frank, listening to your show about the wedding, and all I could say is that it is the upfront money for the food, but apparently the couple is not wealthy and does not have enough money to get married and maybe has to pay the caterer upfront. $65 is not a lot of money for the plate usually. It's about one to 200 So I think I'm right in saying that they need the money upfront. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being too judgmental, and I am the self-proclaimed least judgmental man on the planet, but... Um, uh, it's not something I can I ever do. Look, if you don't have the money to have a uh, a, fan, a big wedding, then don't have a big wedding. Go and elope or, you know, invite people to your backyard or uh, get married at the courthouse steps. I've done every variety of wedding there is. Nothing wrong with, you, you don't have to make it a grand affair. You know, my wife and I, to save money, we had a wedding brunch instead of uh, a dinner. And, you know, I'm very partial to brunch. I like brunch. My favorite meal of the day. So the point is, you know, I don't think anybody should ever judge you for the decisions you make about um, how you want to, you know, how what kind of wedding you want to have. I do think it's fair to judge someone that's asking you to pay money to attend their wedding like it's a, a Rolling Stones concert or something. I mean, it makes no sense. Uh, Dave is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hey, Dave. How are you? Um, listen, the uh, whole thing with the uh, Bob Crane. Uh, it certainly his son is around. It's obviously a popular thing. What happened? Popular. That uh, people remember what happened, and certainly the, the whole thing with DNA and the blood that has uh, come to form. So I think it's the son that pushed the envelope. But I also want to say, I never liked that show. Why didn't I like the show? Same reason I didn't like to produce this that was later redone by Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick when they're making fun of a Hitler or whatever. That was about Starlux 17. Right. And my friends, yeah. my father, my friend's father was in Starlux 17 for a year. He wasn't, I would say, mistreated or not, it wasn't a concentration camp, but he lost 100 pounds. He was never. The same yeah, it was a POW camp, absolutely. Yes, and it was terrible. I yeah. mean, they, they didn't torture him, but it was terrible. So, Dave, your view on both Hogan's Heroes and the producers, uh, and I'm a fan of the producers, just so people know, is that it's not right to make light of something that was so tragic and so difficult for so many people. Well, the premise was good with the producers, where you're making a show that's bad and raising money. Right, but you but don't like springtime for Hitler. about... With, yes, yeah. three times for it. I get it, Please. Dave. I get it, Dave. Thank you. I disagree, respectfully. I mean, I've heard Mel Brooks talk about that. Now, Mel Brooks is Jewish, and he actually, and if we can get Mel Brooks on the show, I'll ask him about it. But Mel Brooks um, served, if memory serves, in World War II fighting the Nazis. And basically what Mel Brooks said, what he was trying to do, not only with that, but other depictions that he's done of Hitler over the years, is kind of get back at Hitler using humor. And I don't think the Nazis in uh, The Producers are sympathetic figures at all, or in Hogan's Heroes, honestly. In The Nazi, in uh, in, in um, The Producers, they all come across as kind of dumb, as kind of very two-dimensional. And the reason they're putting on a play that they believe is going to be a giant flop is because they're lionizing Hitler. I mean, it's right there in the premise that, oh, how would it, it would be so stupid for anyone to like a play that makes Hitler look good? So respectfully, I disagree, but hey, that's why there's different flavors. Governor David Patterson, a man with a fine sense of humor himself, joins me straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight, and the whole world is still analyzing Sunday's media and sports event of the year, the Super Bowl. Not only the most watched television event of the year, but something that has all sorts of other drama. Drama about the ads, drama about Taylor Swift, who didn't even play nor sing in the game, uh, drama about the social media posts about Taylor Swift, all sorts of other things. One of my favorite people to talk to about sports, about the media, about messaging, really just about everything, is also someone who uh, was formerly my favorite governor, but long before he was the governor, he was an old Albany drinking buddy. Now he's become quite uh, the elder statesman. Very, very pleased uh, to welcome back someone who's not that old, even if he is an elder statesman, certainly way too young to run for president, former governor of New York State, former chairman of the New York State Democratic Party, and the author of a terrific book called Black, Blind, and In Charge, Governor David Patterson. Governor, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Well, Frank, I was barely able to stay awake up to this hour, but (laughs) after that introduction, I'm beaming. Let's go. (laughs) All right, Governor, you know uh, more about sports than uh, just about anybody that I know that doesn't make their living in sports, certainly. Give me your thoughts on the the Super Bowl. Very exciting game with a very exciting finish. What would you make of it? Well, the game itself was very intense, and it was um, really like a chess match between the two teams. And uh, it reminded me of the game they played four years ago, where the Chiefs went up by about 10 points, and then Patrick Mahomes takes his cape off and turns into Superman (laughs) and (laughs) brings the uh, Chiefs back, as he did in 2020, the, the last time they played. But I have to tell you, I was really impressed with Brock Purdy. Mm. Not just the the way he um, commanded the offense as a quarterback, but also just the interviews they gave of him. He seemed so humble and so just not caught up in the shock of being the last person drafted in the NFL draft, the 261st draft, now always known as Mr. Irrelevant. Mm. But he was so relevant in that game. That in the middle of the third quarter, I really thought uh, that the uh, 49ers were going to win. 
Well, I mean, the way it was trending in the first half, I think everybody thought that was the uh, thought that was the case. I mean, it really was quite a quite a Cinderella quite a Cinderella finish. You know, one logistical question that uh, that I'll ask, just because we, as you know, having worked in talk radio for a while now, at multiple different radio stations, and been a listener to talk radio even longer, there are a lot of folks that listen to talk radio who are visually impaired. Either they're totally blind or they're partially blind. And I know you're seriously visually impaired. A lot of folks, both people that can see normally and people that are blind, may ask the question, how does David Patterson watch a football game? When you watch a sporting event, particularly if it's on television, how are you watching that differently than what everyone else is doing? How, what are you seeing or not seeing that everyone else is? Well, um, I'm uh, legally blind in the in the. Uh uh, right eye and totally blind in the left eye. So one of the problems I have is not just how far things are away, but just depth perception because everything sort of looks two dimensional to me. Now, when I'm watching a football game, because I can stand right on top of the, I mean, I can stand right by the screen. I can pretty much see what's going on, but I will lose track of a football or a baseball, you know, when, when it's hit. And uh, but I'm such a uh, a fan of the games, and it, it was uh, really exciting to uh, watch that game uh, yesterday. Uh, that um, the impairment doesn't really get in the way. Um, but I know people who are totally blind who could sit at a football game, and it's almost as if they know what's going on, even though they don't see it. Really? Uh, and, and, and it's amazing. It's, it's amazing, particularly because they're students of the game. Uh, and so sometimes listening to the crowd, the crowd will tell you what's going on. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're not necessarily the guy to argue whether a ball was a first down or not, though. Now, Frank, I know this is a syndicated show, but I just have to vent for one minute. Please. Nicole Hardman, Nicole Hardman, the man who makes the catch in the end zone to to end the game for this entire season played for the New York Jets, and he couldn't catch a ball if you pitched it to him (laughs) underhanded. He dropped passes, fumbled, did everything that was wrong. Finally, the Jets cut him, and his old team, Kansas City, picked him up. In the game where Kansas City defeated Buffalo to go on to – uh, play Baltimore and then get to the Super Bowl. They give him the ball on the three yard line and he fumbles it on the one yard line. And <laughs> then all of a sudden, he comes to the Super Bowl and uh, Patrick Mahomes throws a pass from his own 40 to the 10 yard line of, of um, San Francisco 49ers. And Nicole Hardman actually catches it. He must have had bubble gum on his hands or something. <laughs> and then the Chiefs were so shocked that he caught the ball that on the next play, they fumbled it back to the 49ers. <laughs> so, then they, all of a sudden, they, they're cheering as if this guy's Jerry Rice because they won the Super Bowl. I can't believe it. <laughs> if you want to see his uh, playing skills degrade quickly, all you have to see is him get uh, get signed by the Jets again. It'll be a totally different. Yeah, then world. he'll go right back to to anonymity. <laughs> one of the one of the images that's getting a lot of attention in the day following the Super Bowl is this, what seemed to be a a sideline argument where it looked like Travis Kelsey was uh, screaming something at Andy Reid. Uh, obviously, everybody is uh, just you know uh, on cloud nine today. 
on the Kansas City end of things. But what did you make of that? That uh, that image of uh, Travis Kelsey kind of looked to me like he was screaming something that you wouldn't expect from either him or any player under Andy Reid. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm kind of a fan of the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing. I think it's a lot of fun. And But I have to say, he not only yelled at the coach, he pulled him by the arm. Mm. And, uh, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a terrible uh, look, I thought, for the team and for him, who's, you know, known to be a pretty cool guy, you know, most of the time. And he's a veteran on that team. And what happened was he was taken out of the game for a play, and the guy who took his place missed a block, and Patrick Mahomes got sacked. So he's furious because he doesn't think he should have been taken sure, out. Sure. But that is not the way to express it. That is not uh, what we're trying to project, particularly to young people, you know, you get upset and he had th- taken his helmet and thrown it down earlier. So he was working himself up into that tantrum. And uh, I certainly hope that he's apologized to his coach and really to all of America for that display of complete lack of control. Obviously, the non-football playing corners of the world know Travis Kelsey for being the boyfriend of uh, Taylor Swift. And all of these, I'm sure you've heard them many more times than I have, all of these ultra-right-wing groups have developed all sorts of conspiracy theories about the Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey relationship. Some saying it was uh, a scheme to get people uh, vaccinated by Pfizer. Some people saying it was uh, for publicity for... uh, Taylor Swift's tour or movie or something. Uh, Joe Biden and his social media team, they leaned into this. They released a tweet following the game with uh, Joe Biden having sort of like demonic eyes with uh, President Biden's Twitter account saying, just like we drew it up. What do you make of all the uh, Taylor Swift related conspiracy theories and the nexus with politics? I think people have to find something more productive to do with their time. Well, I mean, all these conspiracy theories, they even had a theory that the Chiefs would would win because and then at the uh, celebration that uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey would endorse Biden and all this craziness that it's just completely it's just it's just uh, it's just crazy. But, Frank, I have a, a, a story for you. Well, let's hear it. I have met Taylor Smith Swift. Oh, boy. I met her at the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live, and they invited some people who'd been on Saturday Night Live to come to the show. And of course, they invited me because they had two, three full years of, uh, <laughs> of ridiculing, me, ridiculing me, insulting me, making me look like a complete jerk. And probably some of it was true. But the point is that I go to this event, and there's an after party, and I've got to go up to Albany the next morning which would be a Sunday morning. And I saw this guy who was on my police detail. And I said to him, do you think you could get me out of here and get me a taxi so I can get back home? And he says, wait a minute. Uh, let me talk to Taylor. I'll drive you home. I'm like, Taylor. He said, yeah, Taylor Swift. Uh, my security company is guarding her tonight. <laughs> so he goes over and he asks and she says, of course, drive him home. And then when he comes back, she comes with him and she says, what's the matter, Governor? Is it too late for you? It's only one thirty in the evening. I thought you <laughs> politicians stayed up till four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so 
So that is my encounter with Taylor. That's Smith. very funny. You are the Swift, only man the uh, that I think I can ever say that I've I've spoken to that can say he was actually sent home by Taylor Swift. That is very <laughs> uh, very impressive. Uh, Remember it, the the legends years ago that if you had shaken the hand of John L. Sullivan, who was the first real boxing champion, so if you shook his hand, you could shake someone else's hand and say, you've now shaken the hand of the person who shook hands with John, <laughs> right. L- John L. Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, um, one of the few, really, I think the only political moment of the night was uh, the ad from the Super PAC supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Irrespective of what people might think of uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s candidacy, I thought it was an interesting ad. I, I kind of like the nostalgia and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And I thought it was an interesting way to try to appeal to people that aren't traditionally tuned into politics. I'm not sure if it was the best use of $7 million, but I thought it was interesting. I, I'm a little <laughs> surprised at the blowback to this ad. I have heard both members of the Kennedy family and members of the public say they found the ad to be offensive. I'm just curious. You have been involved in uh, political campaigns for 40 or 50 years. What did you think of this ad, Governor? I didn't think it was offensive. I did think that he's trying to draw a connection between himself, his father, and John F. Kennedy. Uh, the former president. And um, like you, I don't know that I'd spent $7 million to play some 1950s music at John F. Kennedy, uh, you know, um, uh, battle him. But um, it it, it didn't really bother me. But I think that uh, there are a lot of people right now who are on edge about where this country is going. And I think they want some serious leadership. And they, while they might want to look beyond the two candidates that the Democratic and Republican parties are going to put up, uh, if somebody else wanted to get in it, I think they would want someone whose experience and knowledge of uh, policy and uh, how to run things, uh, maybe that's what offended them. But it really didn't bother me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to not want want to vote for a candidate is one thing. I, I think to actually be offended, that's something I just couldn't I couldn't relate to. One of the things that I uh, do think was a, a pretty big mistake on President Biden's part was not agreeing to uh, do this Super Bowl interview. And I said in the run-up to the weekend that I think the reason is clearly because they're afraid that he may make some sort of gaffe, which reinforces people's perception about his age or his cognitive abilities. And that was actually on uh, CNN over the weekend by James Carville. As a strategist and as someone who I presume is a a, a Biden supporter, or at least has been a Biden supporter, what did you make of that decision to skip the Super Bowl interview on CBS? Well, I thought it was another in a series of mistakes that got made uh, last week by the president and his people. First of all, when if you've been investigated and I was investigated by a commission myself when I was governor and they came back and exonerated me in the report, they mentioned some things, though, that are just unfair. For instance, they said that I should never have called someone mm. who, in fact, called me. And the record <laughs> reflected that. <laughs> and it really annoyed me. But when I got up to have my press conference, I thought to myself, you know what? Why keep fighting the battle when you've won the battle? Right. right. So in other words, they did not recommend that he be prosecuted. So go away, have dinner, 
Yeah, they said some things. They said you have no memory. Well, when he had the press conference to prove that his memory was still good, he called the uh, thought that the head of Mexico was actually the name of the Egyptian president. Right. right. So, so you know, you know that thing. Um, uh, <laughs> um, be silent and be thought of as a fool rather than opening your <laughs> opening your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, I don't think you should have done that. So then to to not speak at the Super Bowl was almost like the reaction was, oh, we really messed things up. So we're just not going to talk for a couple of weeks. And I think that um, th- that was improper. I think he should have talked at the Super Bowl. In fact, what he should have done was not said anything on Thursday night and be ready for when they asked him the questions on Sunday when he had time to think it over. Sure. He didn't do that. You know, since you brought up the Her report, you were one of the first people I heard comment on it because you were on the radio with uh, John Katzmatidis Thursday night right after the story broke. I thought you had some interesting insights. A lot of um, supporters of the president are saying that the wording that was used in the report was a bit unfair. They say it was impl- inflammatory. There's an implication that even though uh, Merrick Garland appointed this special prosecutor, Robert Herr, he's always been a Republican. He was a Trump appointee to the U.S. attorney. And maybe the language used by Robert Hur was designed to intentionally hurt President Biden's political prospects. What did you make of the report itself and particularly with the aspect of it that everybody's talking about, uh, drawing drawing uh, comparison to uh, Biden or dr- drawing attention to Biden's memory losses? I think that they came to the, conclu- to the conclusion that it wouldn't be in the interest of the co- uh, country. There wasn't enough that uh, they wanted to bring charges against him. But in doing that, they had to find a way to explain it. And they were saying that uh, they didn't think the evidence could convict him because he would be seen as a nice old man who has a bad memory and is trying to protect his son. So I think that was sort of a rationalization they made and uh, they pointed out that, that he cooperated with the committee. But see, cooperation of and in itself should not be a factor in determining whether or not you're going to go forward and, and press charges against somebody, as opposed to someone like President Trump that didn't cooperate. And I think right now, I'll tell you what, uh, I think if the Biden people wanted to try something that would really be innovative instead of what they've been doing for the last year or so is to pardon Trump for the um, uh, uh, holding the documents at at Mar-a-Lago. What would Trump say after that? Oh, uh, (laughs) like, in other words, that would create a pause, but they never do it. They always do something that somebody would have done like 50 years ago. Mm. Uh, You know, Governor, I said the same thing a year ago. I think Biden could have not only uh, made himself look like a a statesman, but said that uh, for the good of the country, I want this whole episode behind us, and I'm going to offer President Trump a pardon. And if President Trump didn't want to accept that pardon, then I think Biden still gets the political benefit. I I agree with you. He would have gotten a political benefit. What Trump also might do was... Say, you know, he's afraid of me. He knows I can beat him. Well, fine. Fine. Say that. <laughs> but you, you would have to give Biden a few points for doing it. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. Hey, before I let you go, I have to ask you about the man that uh, succeeded you as uh, governor, left in a, a bit of a scandal in his own right, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, everyone is talking about what the nature of Andrew Cuomo's political comeback will be. Some people are talking about him running for mayor. Some people are talking about him running for governor again. Some people are talking about him running for other things. But the one thing that nobody is saying is that Andrew Cuomo will not come back to politics. Uh, let's say <laughs> let's say there is a, a, an opportunity for Andrew Cuomo to run for mayor of New York City in the future. How do you think he'd do? Do you think he'd be formidable as a mayoral candidate? I think he would be formidable as a mayoral candidate. However, I don't think he wants to be mayor. Now, he's never said that to me, but I just don't think he wants to be mayor. You know why I think that way? Because I don't want to be mayor either. (laughs) Once you've been governor, there's just something about being governor and, you know, the the beautiful mansion and and the the capital and just the whole everything that goes with with uh, leadership and service. And particularly the predecessors, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Al Smith and DeWitt Clinton and all these people, you're in that group with them. But what I would say is that I had lunch with uh, uh, the former governor about three months ago, and he told me, I'm restless. (laughs) He said, I'm restless. So I gave him a a scenario. Remember, Elliot Spitzer had to resign in 2008 as governor. You didn't hear from Elliot Spitzer for five and a half years. (laughs) That's right. He did not make a make a noise all of a sudden four days before petitions and he jumps in to the new york city controllers race and runs against scott stringer he loses barely and as i explained to him if he had gotten in earlier he would have won because he thought he could get in and people like me would change their endorsement from scott to him but Mm -hmm. when i had explained to the former governor when you sign an endorsement it covers the future not just that moment And so, but my point was that Spitzer came back and in that whole campaign, I didn't hear anything about the prostitutes or anything else, because if you leave things alone, time moves on Mm. and nobody really wants to talk about it anymore. Now, every couple of weeks, I see that Andrew subpoenaed uh, Tish James records and Andrew subpoenaed the women. Every time he does that, it gives the media a chance to write a bad story about him. And um, his management of the state and his management when he was at HUD, he is as dynamic an administrator as I've ever met. But he has this sort of inability to learn to let the game come to you. You know, like they tell people in sports since that's where we started tonight. He doesn't do that. He charges out. And um, and I think that he should go in the Peace Corps for a few years. And when he comes back, we'll be ready for him to be governor again. Well, you know, a perfect example is uh, Jim McGreevy, right? Jim McGreevy resigned at the time in disgrace and went away for almost uh, 20 years and, uh, you know, got involved in, he did write a book, but got involved in a lot of philanthropic causes, a lot of not-for-profit causes, got involved in the Episcopal Church, got involved in very low-level municipal uh, 
aid uh, to uh, people coming out of prison and things like that. Now, the one thing you do not hear about as he's running for mayor of Jersey City is any of what led to his resignation of, uh, as governor of New Jersey. So it's a, a very astute point on, uh, on your part. I, uh, Nobody talks about it. Nobody cares. It's too far in the, in the past. Uh, before I let you go, you know, one of the things, whenever I bring your name up, and I know you listen to the program, so you, you may hear this from time to time, I'm always surprised a little bit uh, at the no- rapidly right-wing people who, who would rather tear their arm off than ever vote for a Democrat that call me up and say they like you because you seem sensible, you seem like you have common sense, not like the Democrats that are that are running things today. And, you know, the more I talk to former Democratic elected officials, even Democratic elected officials that were considered very progressive in their time, folks like uh, Sal Albanese, folks like even Anthony Weiner, they all say kind of the same thing about the where the passions and the powers in the Democratic Party lie today. And there's this perception on their part that they think the Democratic Party might be at risk of being um, dragged too far to the left. How do you see the Democratic Party these days? And, and is it at risk of being dragged too far to the left? Well, if you go back and you read the speeches of John F. Kennedy... And the things he said about situations at the time, yes, he was pro-civil rights. Yes, he cleared the way for Dr. King to have the march on Washington. Yes, he did a lot of things that helped what you might have called uh, progressive causes then, but they were really causes trying to get America to fulfill its promise to all people. You would think that John F. Kennedy was in the Republican Mm. Party and running for uh, governor in Arizona. That's what you would think. Those were the positions he took. He did not stand for Russia to push us around when the missiles got put up in Cuba. He threatened to bomb them, and they got out of there. And, um, And I think that as time has gone on, something has happened to uh, us Democrats in in a certain way that we can never seem to admit that anything is wrong. And um, that just empowers our adversaries, the Republicans, who, um, you know, have uh, not, uh, you know, gone astray from their general, uh, the tenets of, you know, what being a Republican is. And so with me, I just feel that there are times that you have to be honest and admit that either you or a member of your party may have done something. You don't want to expose anyone or or hurt their feelings or anything like that. But it seemed that it took too long in this city for Democrats to speak about the crime rate. And finally, finally, Eric Adams did. And um and the things he's done and said have gotten him in a lot of trouble, but he can sleep at night because he didn't say anything that was wrong. Mm. And so that's why I, uh, you know, have, um, uh, you know, uh, gotten a little pushback for saying some of the things that I've said. But it it's just uh, I'm still a Democrat. I'll vote for the Democratic candidate in the fall. But I uh, do respect people from the other side and their points of view, and um, particularly when you feel that they're well-thought-out points of view.
Uh, lastly, Governor, I'll end with this. Uh, yesterday, I uh, spoke with George Santos, and he said that he thought that um, Mozzie Pillip would win, win the special election for his seat that's taking place today. It looks like there's going to be a snowstorm out there today, which uh, would seem to favor those that cast their ballots early, which so far, according to the numbers, tend to be Democrat. I know you know the uh, Democratic candidate for the seat quite well, Tom Swazi. If uh, memory serves, your father and his father were were partners, either law partners or lobbying partners, maybe both at, at yeah. some point. Uh, I'm curious how you handicap this race. I, I think you used to live either in the district or not far from the district. I would imagine there's few people that know the district better than you. How do you see this race going? I never lived in the district, but I grew up very close to the district. And here's what I would say. It is true that Joe Biden won this congressional uh, seat in the 2020 election by eight points over Donald Trump. However, Kathy Hochul lost that congressional seat to Lee Zeldin Mm. by 12 points. Wow. Now, when you're having a special election, probably the most important thing is name recognition. On that one, Swazi would obviously win. He's been a congressman. He's been county executive. He's run for governor. Everybody knows who he is. But the other issue, and this would be the important one for tomorrow, is getting the vote out. And there's this man named Joe Cairo. Um, I love him 364 days a year, except on election day, (laughs) because he is a master at getting the vote out. So is Jay Jacobs, the Democratic leader. But what may have happened, and it's nobody's fault, is that the demographics of the district may have changed. I think it's a toss-up, but I think that the um, weather may be a factor in, in, in who is the winner. Interesting. Uh, Governor, it is always a treat talking with you. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you staying up late with us. I hope we can do this again soon. Oh, I hope so, too, Frank. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Governor David Patterson. If you haven't checked out his book yet, it's still available on Amazon and most other places books are sold. It's called Black, Blind, and In Charge. It's a wonderful book with some great stories. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Peter Gabriel, five minutes until the top of the hour. Today uh, is Peter Gabriel's birthday. 
He turned 74 years old today. Can you imagine? Peter Gabriel, 74 years old. You want to comment on uh, any portion of my conversation with Governor Patterson, you're welcome to, uh, especially the soap, Super Bowl aspect of it. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. Not only did a lot of people watch this Super Bowl, but this is more people that have w- w- that watched the Super Bowl on Sunday night than have watched anything on television since the moon landing. I want you to keep that in mind. This is the most watched event in uh, in television history in over 54 years since the moon landing. To me, that is just extraordinary. So uh, we'll get into your calls in uh, just a bit. You know, uh, my brother Alexander is a great ping pong player. Not a, not a good ping pong player, not a very good ping pong player. He is a great ping pong player. So the last couple of years, in the springtime... I've had a ping pong tournament at my house. And I think the first year we had 20 20 players. I think maybe the second year we had 24 players. And this year, and people get really into it. There's food, there's there's drinks. We have an ice cream man come. You know, it's really when the weather starts to get nice. We usually do it after Lent. And my brother won the first year, and we presented him with a trophy the, uh, the following year. And then the second year, he finished second. So he's a great player. He's definitely somebody that we'd want to play. Another fella that I met through the radio, Tony, he is a very good player. He, he's, he's actually a great player as well. He lost to Alex the first year, was very competitive the second year, and he came over a couple of uh, weeks ago to practice ping pong with me because, you know, I'm falling out of practice a little bit. And he said, when are you going to do the tournament this year because I want to make sure I take off. So I turned to my wife and I said, you know, let's look at our calendars. Let's just pick a day. And so she said, well, you know, my sister's uh, getting ready to have a baby. I'll probably be going out there at the beginning of April. Why don't we do it April 13th? Great. Perfect. April 13th. So I send an email out to everybody that was in the tournament last year saying the tournament's going to be April 13th. Boom. Alexander writes me back and says, sorry, can't make it. I have other plans. Now, I'm skeptical. Does he really have other plans already more than two months in advance? I I texted him. I said, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, I, uh, I have other plans. Perhaps if I was consulted the way uh, I'd have thought that if my attendance was important, I would have been consulted about the date, as was done for other top players. So what this sounds to me is like he's just kind of trying to be a little bit of a scutch because, you know, he wasn't happy with the fact that he didn't win the tournament last year. He didn't even take his trophy home right away last year. I had to force him to take it. And I think he's kind of being difficult that uh, about this this year. So I told him to try and pick another date. And if we can move the date, which I hate to do because I already sent out the email, but if we can move the date to a day that he can – um, make it, then we'll try to do that. But uh, I was very sorry to see that. And hopefully we get it resolved in the next 24 hours. But I do think there's a little bit of an element of being a bit of a sore loser there. So uh, I hope he can play because it won't be as good of a tournament without him because he is such a great player. But we're not going to go turn ourselves into, twist ourselves into knots trying to get him there. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.